finding what matters most. A common question posed as an icebreaker, a conversation starter is, what would you ask for if you were told you could have anything you wanted? This is asked through various scenarios, such as finding a genie and a lamp or winning the lottery. But the common theme is identifying what is most important to you. Of course, the wish to have an infinite number of wishes is not allowed. So you have to carefully consider how you would use this one opportunity. The answer we give sheds light on our principles, attitudes, and values, allowing others to get a glimpse of our nature. Would you ask for unparalleled material wealth, perfect health, or the demise of those who you dislike? Would you try to give an answer that you feel others might find admirable, such as peace on earth or an end to world hunger, while secretly desiring something more personally satisfying? In today's passage, we see Solomon's response to this question when it was posed by God. There was no temple at this time, so Solomon went to special sites to offer sacrifices to God. While giving offerings at one of the principal sites, which could accommodate the large number of sacrifices that were given on Solomon's behalf, God came to him in a dream, telling him to ask for whatever he wanted. Of course, God knows what's in our hearts, so it was no use pretending to ask for something admirable that would impress God. Solomon reflected on the weight of his new role as king of Israel and asked for help in leading this large nation. He was probably around 20 years old and had only recently been declared the successor of, successor of King David, who had reigned for 40 years and brought the nation of Israel together with unparalleled success. But with such success came competition for control from within the court. Solomon's self-deprecating statement that he was only a little child, not knowing how to go out or come in, was an expression of concern for handling this political pressure more than any concern about external military threats. Solomon wanted God to help him be a successful leader of Israel more than anything else. Solomon also knew firsthand the dangers of attempting to become king and failing in that endeavor. In King David's last days, while he was still while he was ill and confined to his bed, Solomon's older brother, Adonijah, presumed that he would take over when David died. So Adonijah started forming alliances within the court with certain prophets, priests, and military leaders. And he gave himself a great banquet as a sign that he was the new king. When certain other members of the court who were aligned with Solomon learned about Adonijah's plan, they convinced Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, to confront King David with the news that Adonijah had declared himself king. David had apparently promised the crown to Solomon, and he was unaware of Adonijah's activities. When David learned of the presumptive steps being taken by him to take control of the kingdom, David gave specific instructions to formally declare Solomon as king by having him ride King David's mule and being anointed by a priest and a prophet as the new king. When Adonijah and his cohorts learned that David had formally declared Solomon to be the next king, they fled the banquet in fear. 
They quickly acknowledged Solomon as the rightful king and begged Solomon to forgive them for their apparent challenge. Solomon let them go for the moment, but he eventually had each one of them executed, including his own brother, as soon as they posed even the slightest threat to his reign. Solomon knew that losing the crown would result in losing his life. Solomon's response to God's offer, asking for discernment as a leader, was important for himself as well as the nation. Poor leadership could result in destabilizing the country, making it vulnerable to surrounding kingdoms. And it could also result in a rebellion where the king and all his family would be executed. Asking God for the skills needed for good leadership could be seen not just as a charitable thought, but as a necessity for survival. In any case, today's passage tells us that God was pleased that Solomon did not directly ask for wealth, longevity, or the death of his enemies. So God granted Solomon great wisdom and discernment along with wealth and honor. God also granted Solomon a long life if he steadfastly followed God's commandments. But as we read in later passages, Solomon ended up worshiping other gods later in his life as he became more influenced by the cultures of the many women he took as wives and concubines. The scriptures tell us that Solomon lived a relatively long, successful life. Like his father, David, he reigned 40 years, which puts him at about 60 years of age when he died. During his lifetime, he accomplished much. He is said to have written 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs, some of which are thought to be included in the Bible. One of his most well-known accomplishments was the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but he was unable to build a temple for it before he died. So the Ark stayed in a tent outside. Solomon, however, conscripted thousands of laborers to harvest lumber in Lebanon and cut stones in the hill country to build the first temple. Over a period of about seven years, the temple was constructed through the forced labor of nearly 200,000 people. And when it was completed, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the inner sanctuary. It's also interesting to note that Solomon used this forced labor to build his own house around the same time. And it was over twice as big as the temple and took 13 years to build. Solomon lived a life of extravagance that was the envy of all the rulers around him. The daily rations for himself and his court included 500 bushels of flour and meal, 100 sheep, plus oxen, cattle, and various game that was hunted in the area, all provided each day. He is said to have 700 princesses and 300 concubines, and he hosted the famous Queen of Sheba. Although the Bible does not go into much detail about their relationship, Ethiopian tradition sees the Ethiopian emperors as descendants of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. By all standards, Solomon was extremely wealthy. Looking back at the gift he requested from God early in his reign, Solomon's material success could be seen as a natural consequence of the great wisdom God had given him. He may have valued the continued success of Israel. But his desire for discernment in ruling the nation also reflected the high value he placed on his personal security and those around him. 
through the, this wisdom that Solomon was able to form successful alliances with other kingdoms and efficiently order his court. He married one of Pharaoh's daughters to build a stronger bond with Egypt, and he divided the kingdom into 12 regions that took turns throughout the year in providing his daily rations so that no single tribe was unfairly burdened. He was also effectively, effectively appointed loyal overseers over the laborers and directors who governed the 12 regions of Israel. Although his wisdom served his desire for wealth and security well, there are clues that he was not successful in some important ways. One hint is in the writings attributed to Solomon, which suggest he was not personally fulfilled despite the vast riches he had accumulated. For example, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is attributed to him, opens with a sense of emptiness and futility as the author considers the finality of life and the temporary nature of all things. Another example is the rebellion that took place soon after his death. All but one tribe, Judah, rebelled against his son who had succeeded him because of the harsh labor conditions they had endured while serving Solomon. Finally, there was the famous temple he built as a legacy, legacy to the Jewish nation. It was tragically burned to the ground when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem about 400 years later, erasing one of his greatest achievements. I think Solomon got what he asked for, but I wonder if he got what he really wanted. After reflecting on Solomon's story, how would you respond to the offer to receive anything you wanted? I ask this question not just as a casual conversation starter, but as something to seriously consider. Just as God suggested to Solomon to ask for whatever he wanted, the New Testament tells us that Christ gives all of us the same advice in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus tells us to ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This sounds remarkably similar to God's suggestion to Solomon, yet it is even more impactful, in my opinion, since it is repeated in three different ways. We may not receive our gift exactly in the way we expect, but Jesus teaches us that God listens to us and hears our petitions. Jesus explains this by saying, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God will grant us gifts if we ask for them, but they may come in unexpected ways. Of course, the first step is to ask, search, and knock on the doors. It's incumbent upon us to be active in our relationship with God by spending the time and energy to carefully consider what we want. If we just sit back and let life happen to us, Time will pass, and we will likely not be as fulfilled as we could be. On the other hand, if we carefully consider what we want out of life, then step out in faith that God hears and answers our prayers, we are assured that God will respond. 
We may be surprised at the ways in which God responds, but we can be sure that God will respond. But considering what we want to ask for, it's also important to consider the long-term consequences of our choices. In the story of Solomon's life, we see that he received the physical security and wealth that he was searching for. But in the end, he appeared to feel empty and his legacy did not last. The kingdom quickly broke apart after he died and the temple that he built was eventually destroyed. Instead, Christ urges us to focus on things that will last and cannot be destroyed. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we consider the consequences of using the gifts that God gives us, Jesus suggests we keep in mind the wealth we would build up in heaven. Jesus affirms the lesson from King Solomon in Ecclesiastes that earthly things rust and fade away. They are temporary and will not be valued by others in the same way that you may have valued them. Therefore, Christ tells us to strive for those things that are valued by God. And we will find ourselves living with an abundance of peace, love, and joy, all attributes of a gratifying life. This realization that we all have an opportunity to receive gifts from God can be very impactful. When we seriously reflect on the potential that we are given by God to make a difference in the lives of those around us as well as our own circumstances, we can be filled with hope and excitement. Stepping out in faith that God hears and guides us on our path while striving for those things that build up the kingdom of God on earth will lead us to fulfilled lives with positive long-term consequences. Remember that God is urging you to ask for whatever you want and will help you find what matters most. Amen.